Volcano! Sorry for the long pause. I didn't have any time to feed the podcast machine, but today we'll go from hypothermia and avalanches to the warmth and hotness of volcanoes. This is Eric, and welcome to another episode of the Frozen Duck. I'm sure many of you have heard that there's a volcanic eruption uh, in Geldingardalir in Iceland, and after weeks of earthquakes and the lava came to the surface in the presumed burial site of one of the Icelandic settlers, Isolver. Like many of you, I was never really exposed to volcanoes, and part of my preparedness, I had to turn into books and the literature to know what we had to deal with. So, reading on the topic, I felt like it was hard to categorize or summarize it well, but I guess the best way to see it is is to divide into gases or lava, respiratory versus blunt trauma or burns, local versus remote effects, immediate versus long-term effects. Let's start by breaking them down, what happens during an eruption, and let's start with the most obvious. First, the explosive volcanoes, like the one in the movies. There's gas, smoke, lava exploding everywhere. This phenomenon of things going in the air or is, goes from less than 2 millimeter ash or all the way to a couple of meters or the size of a small boulder. And all of this is regrouped under the theme of tephra. So small, ash, and big, ballistics. A flying rock can obviously hurt you pretty bad. They can travel quite a distance, up to five kilometer long. The injuries would be mostly blunt traumas or burns. And not only they can hit you bad, but since they're hot, they can also set your house on fire or some fields and they can lead to burns. So if you see someone suffering one of those injuries in your ER, you would just manage them as a, as a regular trauma or a burn. But luckily, even though they're really impressive, they represent only a small proportion of deaths from volcanoes. Hashes, being despite a bit less obvious, they can also cause a lot of trouble. They can accumulate significantly on rooftops and they can be quite heavy. And if it rains, they're all going to become even heavier and roofs will collapse and they could hurt people. The other problem is that since the ashes are, the particles are small, they can just squeeze everywhere and block machines. They can cover vegetation and destroy crops. Decreased visibility because of the ash can also lead to accidents, people just not seeing where they're going or roads being slippery, so more traumas. The other problem is that if planes run through a cloud of ash, uh, the small rocks and glasses inside of that cloud can melt and accumulate in the engines. So the small particles can sandblast the windows, the plane, and this is just bad. Although there hasn't been any deaths after a plane flew through uh, a volcano ash, a cloud, they led to many engine failures and plane had to land uh, emergently. In 2010, when the volcano in Iceland exploded, they just sent a huge cloud of ashes above Europe, and for safety, they kept planes on the ground and paralyzed airline traffic for weeks. The last problem with ash is that they can be quite irritating for the, the lungs and the, the eyes, and they have led to increased COPD and asthma exacerbation during certain eruptions. Let's move to another hazard. I told you we're not gonna go too technical, but let's say if there's one geophysical term to remember, it would be pyroclastic. A pyroclastic flow is a mix of deadly hot gases, ashes, and rocks coming down from the volcano. And since this, they can sometimes be heavier than air, they're gonna run down the mountain. These debris will go down and then they will go down pretty fast. Here we're talking about a cloud coming down at you at 300 km per hour and a temperature up to six to 900 degrees Celsius. Basically, if it's coming at you, you have no chances. They said that the ratio of deaths to injure is at least 10 to one. And for those who survive, the injuries are gonna be asphyxiation, 
traumas, burns, complete burial uh, under debris. I guess you could try to hide somewhere, protect yourself with a, uh, with a mask or like something and try to seek shelter. But these are the victims that we usually see uh, as an, an example in Pompeii that people just die in the house, just covered with debris and ash. This is by far the most impressive and deadliest thing that could happen during an eruption. Another thing running down the mountain that is deadly is what we call lahars or volcanic mud flow. This happens when volcanic debris mixed with water and then becomes this huge moving cement. The water can originate from lakes, water reservoir, rain or ice that is melting from the side of the mountain. And when it goes down, this takes basically everything on its way. It goes down through the valleys and the river and destroys everything. One of the problems that not only they can travel fast, but they can also travel far. And historically, they've destroyed villages sometimes 50 kilometers far from the eruption. The injuries from it will be, again, trauma, blunt, or penetrating, and they should be treated as such. Let's talk about another mechanism now, tsunamis. This might come as a surprise, far from the lava, but if another water earthquake triggers, or if there's a volcano uh, uh, underwater that explodes, or some avalanches from, from a volcanic eruption, this could trigger a wave in the water and travel quite a long way, and you just now have this huge mass of water traveling and ready to hit some shore. These are quite unfrequent, but have accounted for an enormous cause of deaths, and this is to be the cause of about 17% of deaths related to uh, eruptions. The injuries associated with this are usually drowning, traumas, hypothermia if you're being in the water for too long, and since they will destroy houses and move people, we're also talking about environmental refugees, disease epidemics, and other uh, stuff related, related to that. Now let's talk about lava. So I'm talking specifically about the one flowing from the volcano, like the one we currently have in Iceland, this orange thick fluid coming down slowly from a crater. And apart from being really impressive and immensely cool, they don't cause that many casualties. Yes, it's burning hot. I've heard numbers from 1,100 degrees to 1,400 degrees Celsius, but they usually go down quite slow and people can either outwalk it or outrun it. So unless you're a scientist going close to lava or you're just a stupid individual getting too close to lava, they will probably not hurt you, but they will make great pictures. So let's continue down the deadly causes and talk about volcanic gases. Underneath the ground, there are gases dissolved in the magma, and when they arrive to the surface, they're just released into the atmosphere. These gases are a mix of water, carbon dioxide, SO2, carbon monoxide, hydrochloric acid, hydrogen sulfide. And the one we're really uh, worried about are carbon dioxide and hydrogen sulfide. And one of the problems is that they're heavier than the air and then they're just going to go to the ground. Carbon dioxide in higher concentration can lead to uh, tachycardia, cardiac arrhythmias, impaired consciousness, coma, and death. The treatment from it is obviously to remove the person from the gas source, administer oxygen, and these patients can sometimes benefit from a non-invasive ventilation like BiPAP or they might need mechanical ventilation. And in really severe cases, there might be an ECMO cases to remove the CO2. Hydrogen sulfide or H2S for the chemists out there is a colorless and just smells like rotten eggs. 
and this is just bad and leads to cellular injuries and can be deadly. These two gases can be problematic in the areas lower than the volcano and then they can also accumulate down in the valleys. Another problematic gas is SO2. It's a powerful irritant irritating the mucous membranes, the eyes and the lungs. And although they're quite uh, uh, bothering and irritative, they uh, supposedly there hasn't been any deaths related to that. The last gas worth mentioning is hydrogen fluoride, or HF. Although not deadly in itself to the human, they can poison animals and crops, and they've led to uh, loss of crops and famines. In 1783, there's been a long-lasting eruption at the Lackey Fissure in, in Iceland, and because of the dead animals and the loss of crops, they said that about one quarter of the Icelandic population died of famine. The best treatment for all these guys are mostly prevention. And now with the technology, they have cameras, they have some sort of like sensor and they can track and map the gases so they can restrain people from going to certain areas. There's also been some places in Africa where they've built pipes down into the ground so the gas evacuates slowly instead of accumulating and then just releasing spontaneously and cause a lot of problems. Now that we're done talking about gases, the last phenomenon I, I wanted to talk about is a Jökulsklub. This is a 100% Icelandic term, literally meaning a run of the glacier. This would happen when there's heat uh, from a volcano under a glacier, and then the ice is going to melt, a water chamber is going to accumulate, then at some point the pressure is going to be so great, it's going to release a huge amount of water and create a sudden river running at you. If you ever have the chance to visit Iceland close to Skaftafell, there uh, you can see scars from such a phenomenon uh, when the volcano uh, Grimsvatn uh, made a uh, made a run, made a Jökulsklub, and then released a huge river. Roads and bridges were torn apart, and you can still see part of the bridges uh, just lying in the middle of nowhere where it was pulled into. So just to summarize, there are many hazards coming from volcanoes, from lava, pyroclastic flows, debris just flying at you, ash that would accumulate and could collapse roof. There are also volcanic uh, mud flows and Jökulsklub. Most of these injuries are going to be either through traumas, blunt or penetrating, burns or drowning, and they should be treated as such. The other large category of our gases that are being released, mostly uh, CO2 and hydrogen sulfide, that will cause toxicity. These would mostly be treated as with oxygen and supportive methods. A lot of these risks have been decreased lately because of better prediction models, sensors, and maps, so people in high-risk area could be warned and evacuated prior to an eruption. The one last thing I wanted to talk about are either, I'm not sure how to call it, like remote effects or long-lasting effects from an eruption. Uh, I think the textbook word would be post-eruption hazards. That means your, you know, your house or your village has been destroyed, your crops have been lost, you've been evacuated. These are going to be like later or I would say like I would say almost like indirect effect from volcanoes and we need to talk about it. Water supplies can be contaminated and this could lead, lead to disease outbreaks. People might live in poor social or uh, sanitation conditions. Uh, and we haven't even talked about the stress that people are going are gonna to feel. These all account from a large proportion of deaths coming from volcanoes. There's also been some reports that after large eruptions, ash and gas cover large areas of the globe and decrease solar heating. At the end of the 19th century, a large eruption in Indonesia led to cooling of 5 degrees of the globe. 
five degrees. Can you imagine? That's that's huge. And some say that the lucky eruption in Iceland at the end of the uh, 18th century had a remote effect across Europe and the planet created excess mortality, destroyed crops, and this could have been a trigger to the French Revolution. Some sort of like butterfly effect that changed history. So all in all, when we look at the causes of mortality in the last centuries, it's been mostly associated to post-eruption famine and epidemics, mostly, and then pyroclastic flows, mud flows, and tsunami. Then in a really small percentage, lava flows. Now that we have a bit of time, I wanted to do a small case study about the current eruption in Iceland. So the, uh, the name of the eruption is Geldingadalsgos, or the eruption in Geldingadalir. I'm not sure if it's the proper geophysical term, but uh, I would describe it as an effusive volcano, so just meaning that basically there's some lava flow relatively gently uh, that is not explosive. And one of the good things with that eruption is that it took place in a small valley surrounded by other mountains, and the closest village was about 10 kilometers from it. So no landslides. No projectiles have flown, no pyroclastic events. So far, as far as I'm concerned, nobody has been earthed, and the greatest danger has been people getting too close to the lava. Since it's in the middle of nowhere, it needs quite a bit of a walk, and some people got lost on their way back. Uh, and as, But as far as I know, there's been no major injuries from it. And the biggest concern we have right now is that the gas is uh, being expelled from the, from the magma, from the lava. Uh, but since it's so windy in Iceland, it's usually kind of like get blown away. But they've been uh, monitoring that and they, I know they've been closing it on and off in the last couple of days. So this has been mostly a great show so far and I'm glad that nobody got Earth. Alright, so the show is coming to an end. I hope you enjoyed and learned something. Like I said, I'm pretty green regarding this topic and I'm really looking forward for your comments and, and questions and hopefully we can expand on that. And I'll try to pull some strings in Iceland and... I try to get an expert talking about uh, about emergency preparedness and maybe we get some some historian uh, to talk about previous eruptions. So stay tuned and I'm saying bless bless.